a picture is worth a thousand words. Some of the most iconic moments in modern history have been captured through the lens of photojournalists. As modern technology democratizes who gets to craft and share the story, what separates the professional photojournalist as a multimedia storyteller from a passerby with a smartphone camera? I'm here to save journalism and photojournalism in particular because what my research shows, what my heart tells me, is that it does matter to people. This is Campus on the Common, the podcast of bright ideas from Emerson College's School of Communication. Broadcasting from Boston, Massachusetts, I'm your host, Emerson College alumnus and professor of communication studies, Mark Brody. Everyone has a story, but not everyone can tell someone else's story. In this episode, we'll talk with Dr. Gina Gale, a professor of visual and multimedia storytelling at Emerson College. Dr. Gina Gale, welcome to Campus on the Common. Hello, nice to be here. Good to meet you, Mark. Apart from being a photojournalist, you're also an expert in multimedia storytelling. I was wondering, could you explain so that we understand the difference between storytelling, digital storytelling, movie making, and multimedia storytelling? What exactly is multimedia storytelling? You know, that's a great question, Mark, and it's something that as a practitioner, I have actually researched. And I will tell you that there is not one universal or uniform definition of multimedia storytelling. So here is mine. I think of, and how I was trained with multimedia storytelling is that it's using multiple tools of communication to tell a story effectively. And so as a still photographer and photojournalist, what that meant to me was that I had to learn audio and video and some text and writing, but graphics, and then also to put it all into one story, but then also to figure out what type of platform this story would really do well on. And it's so complex. Go ahead. What are some of the elements you consider when you're looking at the appropriate platform for your story? So we take into consideration what part of the story is best told with what medium. So for instance, people think that multimedia can mean, oh, video on your website, but not necessarily if that part of the story would be better told as a still image, or if that part of the story would be better told using audio and still, or maybe using the video, but not necessarily the audio for the video. Do you see what I'm saying? So it sounds really complex. You've got all these different factors to consider that you didn't initially as a still photographer. Oh my goodness, absolutely. And I was a little resistant to video, I would say. I'm like, oh, I can do video. It's just moving pictures. And it wasn't just moving pictures. I really had to fall in love with audio because when I first learned to do multimedia, they told me that audio drove the story, which it makes sense because you can't put down some pictures and then have a whole bunch of choppy audio. So I really dove into audio, a little bit more than video, but I dove into audio. That's interesting. I've been told that when you look at a digital narrative, the images tell you what you need to know, but the audio tells you what you need to feel. Mm. Do you find that to be the same? Well, I think I'm going to use that. Yeah, I'm going to use that. I, I hadn't thought of it that way. I usually teach 
my students and remind myself, you have to look with your ears and hear with your eyes. Wow, I, I love that metaphor. Okay, so we'll switch, we'll change, we'll uh, okay, exchange. We'll, 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 <laughs> the Emerson College faculty metaphoric exchange, I love that. <laughs> For those of us interested in digital narrative who primarily come at it from a more visual perspective, i.e. photographers, videographers, what are some of the first steps you would take in order to really understand audio and how to apply audio effectively? I would say that you listen to some stories, whether it's NPR, whether it's YouTube videos, and listen with your eyes closed. Because like you said, that will give you the emotion. Also try to think about any image that you've created and what it sounded like when you were there creating it. So for instance, when I was working in New Orleans um, in the aftermath of Katrina, and I was real new to audio back then, I remember these amazing but unfortunate photographs of people's destroyed homes and properties, but then the walking on all of the broken glass really got me. Before, as a photographer, I wouldn't have, I would have only heard that. It would have, it would not have resonated with me. Even though you're a photographer, you got to go out and craft an audio portrait by including that gnat, that, that natural sound effect of the broken glass beneath your feet into your still pictures so that it would stimulate more senses. It's not just visual, but now it's audio and you can hear the glass breaking underneath your feet. So you could probably relate a little bit more to that situation. Exactly. And I think um, what you said about audio portrait is spot on. I believe maybe they even taught me that, that it's an audio portrait, but if not, then it's yours. So. <laughs> uh, I like that. You do want to create the portrait and definitely set up the scene. And even though I was a little hesitant about multimedia at first, because, you know, I started with a dark room in my basement. So I am full on still photographer. I appreciate the other elements that I can add to tell the story. Now, I'm, I'm wondering, as you know, full disclosure, I'm, I'm a recovering photojournalist myself. So from, <laughs> so from one photographer to another photographer, and, our, and trying to put our, our mutual bias aside, I'm wondering if a still photographer has a particular advantage in that a big part of our job is to go out and find that iconic moment, that picture is worth a thousand words type of image, where somebody who might work in moving pictures, video, film, etc., they have the luxury of using a variety of different scenes or visuals that can be strung together to make the same point. What are your thoughts on that? I'm biased as well. And I think that still photographers back in the day of uh, newspapers, we weren't, we were the stepchildren in the, in the newsrooms, but because of digital, everything is visual. And I think that you have a different, and I, my bias would be to say better foundation of visuals when you are strong in still photography. I don't want to put anyone down, but I remember my broadcast students had a harder time grasping what we were doing with video and multimedia, because it's not that, you know, three minute clip that they're putting together. It's really thought 
out. And it's about story part by story part by story part, where they're thinking the whole story is video. Well, that's part of the beauty of the Emerson community. It's, it's the convergence and diversity of views, especially when it comes to visual arts, and in this case, auditory arts. I'd like to ask you about the curriculum you developed regarding multimedia storytelling. Could you tell us where it starts, how it goes, what are some of the key points? What I'm hoping for is to provide the listener with some understanding of what it really takes in order to put together multimedia storytelling. What are some of the skills? What are some of the areas they should really look into? So when I first started developing curriculum in multimedia storytelling, it was 2008. I was at a school that did not have a multimedia curriculum. And I really started with the separate elements. And I think that that is how multimedia is taught at a lot of places. So you start with the audio, then you start with the still photography, then you go in to the video, then you're going to go into text and words and graphics. Now we have data visualization, all of these great tools that we can use. The other thing as a researcher studying multimedia storytelling, I found that, like I said before, there has to be a coherent definition of this. We know what radio is, we know what print is, we know what broadcast is, but we're flip-flopping all over the place on multimedia storytelling. I think you remember in the early days, people threw up crappy video and called it multimedia. But going forward, and especially in a crucial time like this, where journalism can be seen as being attacked, where media and news organizations are slashing whole departments and budgets, the need for more storytelling is vital. And as a researcher and a practitioner, that is where I feel multimedia storytelling comes in. So we have to, and there are amazing companies doing this gut-wrenching work that is so great, but not everyone is on the same field as far as how to do multimedia. And I think that one of my biggest goals is to make that uniform and to also show audiences and the news organizations how vital and powerful that multimedia storytelling will be. You know, we've talked about starting the process by looking at the various technologies involved with it, the audio, the video, editing, etc. I'm wondering about the idea of story. Mm. We've had storytellers since the dawn of mankind. And, you know, most lessons were passed on generationally through stories, especially before the written word came down. So stories are, are a big part of who we are as people. So if we look at traditional storytelling and the various structures, three-act structure, five-act structure, Monroe's motivated sequence, whatever it might be, is that still relevant in the world of multimedia storytelling? And if so, or if not, how is there a convergence between what we know as traditional storytelling and multimedia storytelling? I'm glad you asked that question because there is a fundamental thought, well, my fundamental thought is that you have to know the foundation of journalism, of storytelling, because it doesn't matter what technology is gonna come because there's gonna be technology changing constantly, but the fundamentals are still 
there. The foundation is still there. The way you tell a story, the way you tell news doesn't change because it's a new technology. More people will be able to adapt and grab a hold of the technology than they will the storytelling. Most people are storytellers. You know, we tell a story. However, professionals, professional storytellers are able to tell someone else's story and take you into their story. We keep using the tools of storytelling from the beginning of time. And so professionals, they study that. Everyone has a story. We know that but not everyone can tell someone else's story. I love how you've described it. I'm wondering, could you go through your workflow, if you would, when you go to put together a story, what are some of the crucial steps you take in going from, okay, I think I have an idea to here's the final product? You know, I don't think that I have a workflow. It's like, I have an idea and I start working on it. And then somewhere in that process, while I'm in the story, I get a workflow. <laughs> so I wish I could say I did have a workflow. I think it's, I get this idea and I figure out how I'm gonna do it. I just unpacked my office at Emerson. So I have this, I have these two whole banker boxes and they're called story ideas. So you can tell <laughs> that's not a workflow. It's like, oh, okay, here's a story. Okay, well, we'll, we'll put that over there and here's a story. And okay, we're going to put that over there. Well, let me refine the question then. When you okay. think you're, you're actually going to produce the story, do you start with, okay, here's my idea. I'm going to write it down, an outline, then perhaps write a script and maybe you know, try to shoehorn it into a particular three-act narrative, five, whatever. And then once I've got that done, think about the visuals, the audio, or is it, hey, I've got some great images that I think I can string together for a story. And I, if you look at it from that perspective of you know, you've decided you've got what you need to create that story, what are those elements that mean you can create the story? And then how do you actually create your story? Okay, so I'm going to give you the academic professional answer. And that is you come up with your story idea. I was taught for multimedia storytelling that you make a, a story a timeline, a storyline. Um, and because we're journalists, we don't know what we're gonna get until we get there. So we can say, this part of the story I wanna tell in stills. This part of the story, I think I'm gonna get some really good audio. This part of the story is you know, all of the above and we'll see which one works when we get it. Then you go out and you start to produce the story, which is you're going, um, you're following your subjects or the people who are part of the story you get all of the information that you have and then you transcribe your audio because that is important you have to and i'm old school i have legal pads and i write down or you could send it out to some people if you have a budget but um, you transcribe your audio you look at your visuals both still um, and video you think about some data visualization if you have data because nobody wants to be you know blur blurting out statistics or just read a body of statistics, and then you edit it and put it all together. And sometimes you will have a client that already wanted this, or sometimes you're going to have to shop it around to people and see if someone is interested 
and picking up this story. That's the professional answer. And then, you know, you might have some pictures from a long time ago that you think will be a great story and you could do it in multimedia. And so what I'm referring to is a project that has a, like a couple of boxes of my father's work. He was the first black photographer at the Cleveland Plain Dealer. And he has a treasure trove of a beautiful history of the black community in Cleveland from the 1950s to the 1990s. And I have been wanting to do something with that. And there's 27 bankers boxes full of negatives and prints from four by fives, 35 millimeter. I think there might be some eight by tens, but I'm not quite sure. And they're not cataloged. So he was just churning out work, but a lot of it is very important right now. So that is kind of where I have the images. And I wanna go back to Cleveland into these communities and find who some of the people, some of the people I know are in the pictures, I know them. Some of the people I don't, some of the people are recognizable because they were, you know, figures, well-known figures in Cleveland. But I wanna go back and find out who these people are and then continue to tell their story. Perhaps they'll give me some insight into my father as a photographer because I went out with him on a lot of assignments, but not all of them. So that has kind of ethnographic, multimedia, and still photography elements to it. And I think what you're doing is a wonderful story in itself. We have sure. the, the amazing setup to the story that Dr. Gina Gale, a new PhD at Emerson College teaching photojournalism and multimedia storytelling, and a legacy photographer at that. The challenge, the obstacle, the quest, the call to adventure is this archive of amazing images from a particular city in the U.S. So our heroine, Dr. Gina Gale, goes out to add life and perspective, new perspective to these images. And in the process, there's victories and defeats, there's challenges, there's, you know, all the elements you would see in an epic story leading through the second act up to that that pivotal moment, that climactic moment where you break through, you find some ultimate truth, which is, I'm guessing, you're your father's daughter. You've inherited his eyes, his, his ability to put together an image, that iconic image. So that could be a story. So for all of you master well, students out there looking for a project. <laughs> and Mark, there's your marketing coming into use. And I think that, you know, again, like we said before, we got to find some stuff to uh, get into good trouble. I think that's one of them. So, hey, you're hired. You're hired on the team. You're hired. Awesome. Well, we won't be short of photographers, that's for sure. <laughs> well, you know, I can, I can relate to that. My grandfather was a photojournalist for Time Life. Uh, Saturday. Oh, my gosh. And when I, was a, when I was a wee lad, I expressed an interest in becoming a photographer, which horrified my mother because growing up the daughter of a photographer, um, he was hardly home. So mm -hmm. the last thing she wanted was her son to follow suit. So of course I followed suit. Years later, I had his treasure trove of content, but unfortunately we had a flood. Oh. And we lost thousands and thousands. I'm so thousands. sorry. Oh, it was, it was a shame. The one th element that survived, however, was the diary or the diary. Mm. And although it was really difficult to transcribe his gibberish, I don't know if it's gibberish or sign language or, you know, who, Sanskrit. Somehow mm -hmm. I finally got an idea of what it was about. 
and I was enamored with the idea of being a photojournalist, this swashbuckling hero that would go and capture truth and, and become the eyes of history. The reality I found was quite different. But that said, it was to me, it was still a very worthy profession in that regardless of how I felt at the moment and all the hardships and, and unfortunate things you were forced to see and endure, you are indeed the eyes of history. But it comes at a terrible cost. The things we see where we're forced to endure, the emotions that we have to put in the jar just so that we can do our job. And it's interesting how years and decades later, what seemed to be insignificant at the time can bubble up to the surface and keep you up at two in the morning where you're questioning your morality or, or whatever it might be. Mm -hmm. But that said, as much as I have those visual regrets, I wouldn't have given it up for the world because I was, like many of my brother and sister photojournalists, the eyes of history in that time period. And I can look mm -hmm. back, I can, you know, I can Google some of the images and, and revisit them. But what was interesting is, as a photojournalist, when I had my camera in hand, it was as if I was Linus with his magic blanket. Nothing could hurt me. Mm. I could see or do anything. But if I had my camera, now you take that away and I become a mere mortal, but give me back my cameras and I, oh, sure, I can, I can't quite leap tall buildings, but I could definitely walk into a crowd and work that crowd and come away with the image. Yeah, absolutely. Um, sure, there's a fire. I'm going to push, I'm going to push as close as I can, despite the fact my skin is bubbling up from heat blisters, but I'm going to get that shot. Absolutely. So it does come at a cost. And I guess one of the other costs is, as photojournalists, we're all so competitive because we're only as good as that last picture. Mm -hmm. So be that as it may, and I have to assume that photojournalists, that the new breed, if you will, the younger ones coming up are still just competitive. I think they might have an advantage over, I'll call myself an old goat and an old dog, not you, of course, in that by virtue of the fact that they're younger and they're more technologically advanced, they understand how to use the various forms of technology to tell a story. Whereas when I was a photojournalist, I had my cameras. I had that iconic moment, that one shot that the editor would use to accompany a journalist's words, to, to sum it all up, to add mm -hmm. that flavor, if you will, and hopefully add some emotion to those words. But today, oh, no, 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 they're technologically advanced. They understand the role of multimedia just by virtue of the fact that they've grown up with it. So I guess the question for you is, if you're a young storyteller, what are some of the areas that you should master in order so that you can be an effective multimedia storyteller? As a young multimedia storyteller, what they have to remember, and sometimes I have to remember this as well, is to make sure that there is quality in every aspect of the story. Because we know that everybody has, well, not everybody, but the majority of people around the world have a smartphone. And so we're inundated with images every second of every moment of every day. We can record on our smartphones. We can do video on our smartphones. And part of my research, my whole dissertation was, does it make a difference to the audiences? Is the fact that a professional created the image and that it's on a professional platform, does it give it more credibility to the audience? Because if organizations are downsizing and think that they can get away with user-generated content and they don't have to pay 
people like, ooh, in the good old days when we had company equipment and company cars and a gas card and we just drove around all day looking for stories and all that kind of stuff. They think they're getting away with a profit and a cheaper product, but my research shows that the audience really does think that it's important when it comes to news and information and storytelling that the professionals are the ones that are doing it. And so I wrote in my um, admissions essay to the Newhouse School that I'm here to start a revolution in journalism and to basically build a better product, to know that there are people who believe in making a living from professional journalism. And I had seen too many of my peers and my colleagues lose their jobs, whether it was in the visual side or copy editing or the writing side. This is too valuable for us to just give away. And we have, you know, newspapers gave it away and they didn't try and save it. But there's so much more value than profit in what we do. And so I'm out to save journalism as we know it and especially professional photojournalism. Because as I said, my research shows the audience can tell the difference and it does matter to them. I'm here to save journalism and photojournalism in particular because what my research shows, what my heart tells me is that it does matter to people. They know the difference between user-generated content, someone who was just happened to be there and between a professionally trained person who is there because this is what they do. We can't leave journalism to people who are not willing to go out day after day after day and do this job. And so we need to pay people. We need, we need to support them and let them be able to do their jobs because there's so many stories to tell. And there's so much information that we need to uh, distribute in a truthful and professional, ethical way. I absolutely love this hallelujah. To me, what this means is, this is what we're talking about is the difference between the paparazzi and the photojournalist. Mm-hmm. The paparazzi goes out just to exploit something. And you know, any jerk with a camera can become a paparazzi. But to be a photojournalist, you have to understand what storytelling is all about. You have to have that side of you that oozes empathy, willing to put yourself out and to, in many cases suffer emotionally so that you can do justice to the story that you're, that you're unveiling. And without, exactly. without formal training and without those that appreciate it, it, it could become an art form that could go away. And if that were to happen, I'd be scared that storytelling would suffer. And instead of it being a storytelling with a point, it would become either exploitive, such as what you see in, with the paparazzis, or just basic propaganda. Exactly. And I think that there is a place, what I found, because I was totally against user-generated content or citizen journalism, but there is a place for both of these things. Because we can't be, you know, in a world with instant access to everything, photojournalists and journalists can't be everywhere. So user-generated content can be crucial, but we don't have to give it all away to user-generated content either. 
Dr. Gina Gale, with our remaining time, could you give the audience three takeaways? So my three takeaways would be dream. That has been my moniker for a while, my mantra for a while, dream. And in order to dream, you have to have, so this is the second takeaway, courage. You have to have the courage to dream. So many people, and I was like this, so many people are afraid to go after their dream. So this is like my fourth or fifth career. I started out in pharmaceutical sales, and I will tell you why. I was afraid to compete with my father. I was afraid I would either be better than him or nowhere near as good as him. And I thought that, you know, if I made a lot of money, that would cure it, but it didn't. And so I had this dream of being a photojournalist and I had to get over that fear. It's all gonna work out. I would never have envisioned myself um, here as a person with a PhD teaching full-time. I thought that I was going to stay when I got my dream job, I was gonna stay there forever. So here's the other part of dreams. Don't be afraid to change your dream because sometimes your dreams turn into hmm, nightmares. <laughs> so it's all gonna work out and don't be afraid to change your dream. We spoke with Dr. Gina Gale, an assistant professor of visual and multimedia storytelling at Emerson College. She's an award-winning photojournalist with a career that has taken her all over the country. From working with the San Francisco Chronicle to creating her own project about the recovery of New Orleans after Hurricane Katrina. She received her PhD in mass communications from the Newhouse School of Public Communications at Syracuse University with research interest in media credibility, innovation, new technologies, the future of photojournalism, and digital media entrepreneurship. You've been listening to Campus on the Common. I'm your host, Mark Brody. Our executive producer is Dean Raoul Rice. Lucas Boiser is our producer and chief engineer. Oliver Glass is our associate producer. Campus on the Common provides an expert view into the field of media and communication through the lens of academic experts and industry professionals from Emerson and beyond. Campus on the Common is a production of Emerson College School of Communication. Subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts.